everybody get you some, get, get you some, 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 come on baby, get you some, get, get you some, everybody get you some, get, get you some, come on baby, get you some, get, get you some, everybody get you some, get, get you some, everybody get you some. Had to let it go a little bit. Welcome to the bliss with Robin. Chris, Robin. Man, I love when it goes up an octave. Yeah. That, when that beat gets gets to going and that uh that joint jumps something active, yeah, I start twerking in my seat. <laughs> yeah, that song get going like KD got going on them boys tonight. <laughs> yeah, but I was I, I mean you know we'll get to that later, but you know that was a uh, one of those I'm not gonna say career defining. It's not even the Eastern Conference Championship, but it was uh you know it is what he had to do and and what you you wanted to see from a player like him, a player his caliber in a game uh, like tonight, and he did it. So hats off to him. Yeah, no, he definitely needs that kind of game because, I, you know, I think his feelings were hurt when he beat LeBron head-to-head with the Warriors and, and people didn't give him the respect of the best player in the league, partly because of the team he joined. So right. if he wants to be in, in that that realm, he got to have games like that without help and, and with Harden having a bad game coming off the injury and Kyrie out. That's like you said, that's exactly the type of game he needs. To yeah, I mean, Harden that still league. played. Blake Griffin was still on the court, had 17 points. So, But, I mean, the reality is – Given who he acquired this year, the conversation was already teed up for when they win this championship that we all expect them to win about the fact this team might be even more talented than that Warriors team. So it's really hard right. to give him credit. But he, being able to have this game in during the run where you play the entire game, drop 49 points, 15 right. rebounds, 10 assists, um, you know, that's about as far as you can go to silence the haters with the roster that they have. That in, they'll probably end up having by the finals. Right, in a game that everybody knew you had to drop 40-plus. So it was pressure. Right. You know what I'm saying? In a game was, that you were down by double digits right, at halftime. Right, exactly. A game so, that, like, I mean, listen, I give him all the credit in the world, but we can when we start talking about this game, if you're ready to talk about it now, I think the Bucks choked that game away as much as, as he won it with those numbers. Let, yeah, let's and, talk and about that's it. And from, that's from the top down. That's from coaching to individual players. Look, we, we could start where we want. Giannis – Fumbling away to pass, um, right. that that had he caught it, he should have been able to slam it down and tie the right. game. Uh, I think Charles Barkley made a good point after the game. He fumbled that ball because he was uh, trying to rush because he was immediately thinking about the fact that Jeff Green was coming over to foul him because that's what they kind of were doing at the end of the game, and that's what tends to happen to you know a player like him late in games. We can go to the the coaching decisions. How you let Jeff Green, who hasn't played most of the playoffs, drop 27 on you? I think he went seven from eight from behind the line. Why? Because they refused to uh, – the Lopez twin, they refused to take him out of the game. So the Nets go small on you, and they were even letting Jeff Green take the ball up the court a lot to force Lopez to come out. If he didn't come out, Jeff Green's got a wide-open three-pointer. I mean, to me, that's the difference in the game. Almost every other starter on the Nets roster, other than Blake Griffin, was under 10 points. Every other player, mind you, because right. I think they only went seven or eight deep um, in their rotations. So everybody, it, you got 50 from, from KD, you get 20 from Blake Griffin, essentially. If Jeff Green doesn't get to 27, you win the game. Right. So how at some point they don't decide to counter them going small by going small themselves I don't understand. I mean, Lopez gave you 15 and uh, six rebounds. Uh, not enough for me to say that, that his height was so essential that you, you know, need to keep him out, out there. Um, the, the, the fact that KD was being guarded by PJ Tucker, PJ Tucker picks up number five. And instead of putting the best defensive player that you have, Giannis on him. First team all NBA. Defense. You started going with Chris Middleton and, and Pat Connaughton. Like, I, I just – I didn't understand. He didn't guard him all night. The man had the best game of his career. At some point, you should have put Giannis on him just to wear him down. Right. Right? Um, because he was all they had. So force him to get tired. Force him out of the game, at least for a spell. You didn't do that because you let him have, you know, relatively easy defensive matchups. So I'm just going to put those three out there for, you know, just boneheaded, head-scratcher decisions that were made uh, along the way by the Bucks. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it a little bit off the pod. I, I think the reason Lopez stayed in the game was because he's probably the most reliable three-point shooter they had. Um, and did have the Drew best three-point shooting percentage on the night. 
Four yeah, days. Drew Holiday was fourth quarter went ice cold. Chris Middleton, he's been streaky all series. Like neither one of those dudes are super quick off the dribble. Neither one of them are great three point shooters. Um, they're good scores, but you know the fact that Giannis can't make a free throw right now or shaky at the free throw line, like Middleton, he becomes a liability. Middleton three of ten, Holiday three of seven. And Lopez, three or five. That's their three-point shooting. On the and Holiday had a shot with under, I think it was two or three minutes. He airballed like a floater, like from, from the free throw line. Out. Yeah, right. like it was yeah. embarrassing. Um, like yeah. he was way off. So, you know, it just comes to a point where, like, you got these guys who are, you know, NBA all-star-ish in, in Middleton and, and Drew Holiday. But when, you know, the rubber meet the road. Yeah, like right. they're not guys that you really can count on for a bucket. And and Ghana's being the best player, but shaky at the free throw line, he's really afraid to to get the ball, you know, and and get fouled. So unless he has an easy layup, he's taking crazy fadeaway shots just to avoid getting fouled. So um he had that fadeaway on James Harden with a minute 30 yeah. left where everybody James Harden weighs off Wait, the double exactly. team. And then instead of taking it to him like he had been at Jeff Green every possession, he fades away again, potentially, because he's scared if he tries to roll to the right and actually, you know, put a shoulder into him, Harder was just going to follow him. And, you know, I, I, we start to we, – we, uh, I don't know if we're going to get to this later, but uh, Scottie Pippen has a book co coming out uh, in November called Unguarded, and he just talks about kind – of, well, at least it's being leaked that he's talking about his impact on Jordan's legacy. And, you know, we talked about it during the last dance, like – Pippen guarded the best perimeter player and he still averaged over 20. And so like right. at some point, like I don't want to hear you saving yourself an offense. Like if you're the best defensive player on your team, which all NBA defense team says you are, you got to right. go out. You got to stop the bleeding. And if you, if you're afraid right. to get the ball on offense, you got to stop KD from scoring to win a goddamn game. A couple of possessions is all we're talking about here. Right. Like, in the fourth PJ quarter. Tucker was guarding him. You know what right. I mean? PJ Tucker goes down with number five. At a certain point, we saw this with LeBron, I think, in the playing game, right? Right. Uh, there was a point in, uh, I want to say, didn't he call for Steph Curry and just say, I'm going to take him yep. in that in that yep. playing game in the fourth quarter? It's not like we're in Steph Curry is notoriously one of the hardest people to guard because all is moving off the basketball. But like we're just talking about giving your team the best chance to win by taking a couple of possessions. Um, in a game that player that your team can't stop in a game that's probably a must win. Because right. if you can't beat this Nets team without Kyrie and with, with a Harden who's clearly not healthy enough to make an impact, like the series. Not only is it a must win, but just think about the fact that you're now talking about if you win that game, if you don't blow that big lead, you're talking about potentially the biggest game, one of the biggest games in, in, in Milwaukee Bucks playoff history, at least yeah. in recent memory, right? Because now you're going home up 3-2. That place is going to be insane. And you're the favorite to win the next series, whether it's Philadelphia or Atlanta. Right. So you basically have, you know, a ticket to the finals. And potentially um, the favorite against whoever you play in the in the NBA final. I'm not right. I wouldn't say up. that, but I right. think that some people would. Yep. Yep. So I mean, I do you think the Bucks can pull out a game six win up to at least make it go seven? I think potentially if if we um if we see the same Nets team in terms of a banged up Harden, no KD, um, I think the Bucs do win it. They should have won it tonight. Mm -hmm. And I think that Brooke Brunholzer sits down and realizes the asshole decisions that he made. So I ain't <laughs> even calling that asshole. The boneheaded decisions that he made and decides, like, at some point, Porter should have played. You know, I just – when these coaches do some of this stuff, it's just like, is it – like, you just wonder, like, is it arrogance? Like, this dude's been playing the whole playoffs. Jeff Green hasn't played the whole playoffs. So, like, he just made a move. Do you not say, well, let me see what this looks like? I, I don't know. I mean, um, but I think if you give him a couple of days to think about it, he'll have an answer for Jeff Green. Like, Jeff Green's not scoring 27 points twice. Right. No, agree. Yeah. Agree. But I, I don't know if, you know, does, does okay, uh, here's another question. They talked about it on, on Inside the NBA tonight. Do If you're coaching the Nets, if you're Steve Nash, do you play Harden for game six? I don't think so. I mean, I think in most for the most part, he hurt them more than he helped them personally. I mean, he was like yeah. one for 10 shooting, I think, over seven from behind a three-point line. He was looking for some desperation fouls. It was almost a joke at a certain point. However, he did get one desperation foul that I thought kind of swung the balance of the game when he uh, 
managed to pull Lopez down to the ground and get a free throw, get two free throws because they were in the penalty. And I mm. think that was inside of two minutes, maybe even inside of one minute. Um, and I think the Bucks did not score the next position th- possession, and then it became a four point game. I so think that, it was those a 50 two seconds. Fifty seconds. That was huge to me. And then they they reviewed it and um, it stood. And so I was just uh, I was disgusted because I'm like, yo, this dude had he had three points at that point. Like he couldn't create, he couldn't do anything. So to, right. to my point, man, it's crazy to think he played like you know almost the entire game that poorly. Um, but you know, yeah, I mean, if listen, I think too, if you Nash, you don't play Harden. And, you know, you see how that first half is going. You might limit KD's playing time because playing 48 minutes, you got to be very careful. Either you put your foot on their neck and win game six. But if right. you play him play something over seven. 40 minutes, yeah, and then, you know, you don't right. play hard. And, you know, who knows if that hamstring tightens up and he can't play game seven. And Kyrie looks like he's and, out the rest of the series. And it's not like KD doesn't have a history history of injuries. Right. You load managed him most of the season worried about his lower leg injuries and stuff. Right. So I, I'll be, especially on a short times, like one day rest, they play in Milwaukee. They got to travel like that's that's going to be a tough time, right. tough, uh, you know, swing for uh, for KD in the net. So so we'll see. But I ultimately, like, I don't feel like I'm not confident the Bucks can win a game seven. And, and, and yeah, I mean, just when you look, when you talk about everything that we just talked about coaching wise, it's hard to be confident in them mm-hmm. uh, coaching-wise and the lack of clutch play by their individual players. Right. You know, from Drew Holiday, he had 19 points, Holiday did. I mean, this is where he was supposed to be a difference maker in a game like tonight. Right. You right. know, Middleton already was a guy who we were saying, he's the one who's got to get all the fourth-quarter game ceiling shots. He wasn't giving you anything down the stretch. They were going to Giannis in the post. That was all they had, even knowing he couldn't shoot free throws. Right. Given you know just the lack of confidence those guys plays with play with the Lakers, they don't have a they don't have a killer. They don't have a killer on their roster at all. You know at all. So some so, guys uh, got that, and some guys don't. And we'll talk about some of the people who do in a second. Let, let's talk about one. Uh, play for the Atlanta Hawks, Trey Young. Uh, Atlanta Assassin. was down two one, down eighteen at uh at one point in the game. Mm-hmm. You know, making it a lot the largest comeback in Atlanta uh, Hawks. Uh, history in the last 25 years so that's the largest uh comeback for them so trey young drops 29 points 18 assists uh becoming the youngest player ever in the nba uh with 18 assists in a playoff game uh at 22 years and, and something our months our days but um i mean they need every bit of it and you know down two one if they go down three one the series is over but and mm-hmm. went ice cold in the second half uh ben simmons is a non-factor on offense and that uh, is like it's literally just, crazy watching the game. Like you're like, there's no way these dudes are gonna blow this lead. And then you realize like they they have one person that they want right. all of their offense through. Like right. if if he doesn't get you know a move in the post. I mean, you think about it like when they need a shot, a three, they're going to Seth Curry. And when they need points, they go to Joel and B. Like offensively, they don't necessarily have nearly as many people to you know, go through. I mean, and Dwight Howard's out there for defense. Tobias Harris, they paid that dude a lot of money, but I just don't see him as somebody who offensively, you know, can create on his own much. I was going to say he kind of falls into that Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday range, right? Like he could drop 25 for you, but when, you know, shit hit the fan, like you don't really trust him with under two minutes in the fourth quarter. And and Ben Simmons, like, you know, I followed him at LSU, number one overall draft pick. Like, it's embarrassing, bro, how bad he is offensively. I I feel like he's worse now than when he left LSU. Yeah, honestly. You know what I'm saying? So Me and a couple people uh, went to go check him out when they played South Carolina. I was up there for a training for work. And, um, you know, just off of sheer size, you know, at at 6'10 in college with with his athleticism, you were going to score. But I noticed then – that he had no defined offensive game um, yeah. because he had no real mid-range jumper, no real long-range jumper. He handles the ball a lot, so he's going to, you know, probably get you 12 to 15 points. Yeah, fast But, you know, with guys like that, there's always the assumption that the game is going to develop once they get to the NBA. And, And, you know, that just hasn't happened for him. And for a guy whose dad played professionally uh, out in Australia, like I just for the life of me can't figure out how he didn't coach his son to shoot. And, and, And Right. 
and being an NBA, I think at least what six, six years, five, six years, like you still haven't developed not even three point shot. Like what, you don't what have Australian a, basketball player can't shoot. Right. You don't have a 15 to 18 foot jumper. Like right. I, I just I don't understand that. And if you're gonna be a six, ten point guard at the very least, be able to post these small dudes up, like right. and have some kind of low post game. But it's it's just kind of odd to see Philadelphia play on offense because you got the point guard kind of out the way in a block or on you know, just out of the play, totally behind a three point line. Then you got the seven footer Embiid at the top of the key. It's just like, it's real weird. And like, we'll say, I think that as I'm watching these games, you start to realize how poorly constructed some of these rosters are. <laughs> yeah. in the NBA. And right. I'm not sure if that's because of the way the players are dictating or if it's that the players realize that these GMs don't really know what they're doing and they throwing money around. So they start mm -hmm. dictating the moves themselves because it's like, yo, y'all not really putting pieces together that complement each other all that well anyway. Right. Um, and so when you watch a game like that, you're like, man, they are really limited. I mean, yeah. I guess maybe the thought was that you have, if you get guys like, you know, Green and Curry, it'll take some of the heat off of Simmons. Um, but you can't have a point guard who just can't shoot the basketball. I mean, five on four. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. I kind of see why Embiid doesn't like him much. Like, I, I'm starting to get annoyed by him myself. <laughs> it, I mean, like, you just can't have a guy offensively who just can't score, especially who handles the ball as much as he does. It's just mm -hmm. kind of uh, – it's embarrassing to see. And like you said, like, as a GM, how do you pay that dude $90 million? Right. He can't hit an 18-footer. Like, that's, that's crazy to me. But in saying all that, too, I, I still feel like um, – the 76 is all the favorite. I feel like they will win a series. And like my hope is is Doc can get this team at least to the conference finals. Uh because because I don't want to, you know, he's already got some, you know. Clippers already threw that man under the bus. Yeah, man. I, I you know, PG3, PG 13 threw that man under the bus. So I, I like to see him at least get this team to the conference finals. And I, I think here's, here's what I will say, you know, the the Hawks being good, uh, and the Knicks being good, like those teams being good is good for basketball. When you see those, those are big cities. And when you see the way people celebrate after the game outside the arena, those are cities that like, they're going to, you know, just bring excitement to the NBA. So I, I like seeing that. And that, you know, if the Knicks couldn't go far, at least, uh, you know, Brooklyn was was a, a, a rowdy crowd tonight. So. Yeah. Like in, in Atlanta, there's some fair weather fans, but when they went in, they, they get the, the arena jumping for sure. So right, they um, were jumping on top of cars and stuff after a game. Like yeah. they won the series. Who you uh who, who you got in this series? The 76ers Hawks series. Yeah. Oh, the 76ers. I mean, they should have won that game. I mean, the Hawks. You know, it's Trey Young and a bunch of solid basketball players. Uh, you know, I just don't think that when you look at the supporting cast behind Joel Embiid and Trey Young. Joel Embiid definitely has the better supporting cast. And honestly, like if, if Embiid wasn't playing through injury, you know, we probably would. We, I don't think you see a comeback like you saw the other night. Yeah, definitely. Um, moving on to the Western Conference, we got uh, the Jazz and the Clippers. Uh, Clippers go down again 2-0. Um, but this time on the road in, in Utah, come back and they win the next two. So, you know, it's even up. The best two out of three now. Um, I think we see in another situation, though, where a team is forcing – you know, the big man out. Like, mm -hmm. they're going to go with Morris, and then Rudy Gobert now has to step out on Morris. Now you clear the lane, and Morris has been hitting his threes, right? Because Rudy Gobert doesn't necessarily want to come out there. You start to render him, you know, so, playing small ball, you start to render him a lot less effective. Through three games, he only had hit one one three-pointer, and I, th I think that's why you saw the Clippers struggle in, in Utah take mm -hmm. the first two, and the, and the third game was real tight. But like you said, Morris hitting threes in game four, that you see a blowout because they don't have right. an answer. And, and Gobert, like, if he can't make an impact defensively, he's only like a, a layup, tipping, dunk kind of guy. So mm -hmm. you essentially make him null and void. And, and that's the strength of the strength of Utah is, is defense um, in the paint with Gobert. And then they'll top two, three, three point shooting teams in, in, the, in the league. So can they continue to hit their shots? And game four, they didn't. And, and you saw a blowout. Right. Yeah, but, I mean, I, I just don't know. It's, again, one of those questions of coaching, like, will the Jazz adjust? I mean, when I was watching them win, 
I just was questioning how sustainable it was because it seems like so much of it, you know, without Mike Conley Jr. out there, so much of it yeah. falls on Spider Mitchell. And so much of it was like three pointers and just taking people out to dribble one on one. I'm like, at a certain point, like you need somebody else on this roster. Rudy Gobert does not have one on one moves. You know, you're not getting that from Joe Ingles or Millsaps or anybody like that on that roster. Um, and so I really feel like, you know, they, they need, he's another one out with a hamstring. Like, I don't understand these NBA players with these, you know, bad hamstrings, but I guess, you know, again, maybe the bubble and short off season, but he's been out for a minute. So I'm just wondering if it's going to be a similar situation where he at least tries to go. You're talking about a guy who averaged, I think like 18 points a game and like eight assists and, you know, kind of in a Chris Paul way gets other people involved. So without him. Yeah, without him, they become very one-dimensional. And Spider Mitchell was just dominating, and, and so it worked. But I think they need him back to win the series. And it shortens the bench too, right? Because you got to start angles, and so right. you know you just have less less depth. And uh, the one thing I will say is Donovan Mitchell has been super consistent. Like uh, you know, Shaq questioned him early on in the year, saying he wasn't great, and I think he's shown for the second consecutive playoff because even in they gave up a three-one lead last in a bubble to Denver. But even in that, he was averaging like 35, 40 a night. And, and you see him doing the same thing, even in a loss in game four. I think he had like 30. So like he And then that series went down to a last second shot, right? Did yeah, he get yeah. the ball with a last second shot? Right. So yeah. that was in, you know. So like you, you can count, you could pencil this dude in for 30. The one thing yeah. I will say is like, can D Wade stay off the camera in Utah? Like, come on, man. This Listen, shit. He's a, he's a part owner now, isn't he? Minority owner. And he's yeah. trying to like coach Mitchell from that. The they have very similar games, and I'm all for it. You know, I'm sure Shaq probably felt bad because his mom and everybody else told him he was wrong for, for calling that man on TV. And I'm sure, you know, that probably facilitated some of the communication. And now basically he's taking this dude under his wing like a little brother. I love it personally. Right. Um, but can we Sad. talk about can we talk about Kawhi Leonard stealing Royce O'Neal's soul the other night? And just <laughs> Punch that dunk right in his chest. <laughs> uh, Kawhi is a uh, you know what thing I do I respect about Kawhi, bro. It's like whether he's losing, winning, like dunks in your face, over ten, like the dude's demeanor does not change. Like that's not right. always great for. He's a not a front runner. Yeah, it's he's not great. Like I'm. Go ahead. No, I'll keep going. No, I was just saying like he's not. I wouldn't want him to be the leader of the team um you need that emotional leader like in toronto i think it was kyle lowry but like as just like a a presence on the floor like he gives off this calming effect to me like he never panics you know down 18 up 18 like it's just always the same and that's i do respect that about his game like just the 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 level of consistency in his 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 demeanor never changes that's how i am in the courtroom Wait, no, I was going. What I was going to say is like, because I was watching the Nets game tonight, and I was watching how like Blake Griffin came out of the game when it was close in the fourth quarter, like you know, I guess for matchups, and then when they brought him back in, I guess for rebounding at the very end, you know, he grabs PJ Tucker's arm, he follows him, and the refs just don't call it. Then he, I could see him like looking at PJ Tucker, and he's like, "You're a bitch," like "You're a bitch," and PJ Tucker was livid. Uh, right. I saw a meme clowning because PJ Tucker's always crying, like he's always getting mistreated by the refs. Like nobody ever sees him get get fouled, but they always <laughs> see him following somebody else. And I was just thinking, like you know, I hate that front runner stuff. KD's right. looking at Giannis all tough, and I just right. can't stand that. Like y'all went and got like the Avengers on the basketball court. <laughs> now everybody's getting hurt. Y'all are you know barely win, and then the minute the game is solidified, like y'all all in everybody's face, ready to fight, talking all this trash. They was all you know ready to cry ten minutes ago um, when you know Harden was hurting. They were down by fifteen points or whatever. So yeah, I definitely like a guy who's who keeps it consistent. You know, I can't stand you know Blake Griffin was ready to be out the league, you know, right thirty games ago. Now he's cursing people out and pointing and laughing at people. Yeah, I mean the Nets are like the bully, right? Like they just. You know, like none of the dudes are likable. I don't mm-hmm. like KD. I don't like Griffin. Mm-hmm. Like this dude in Duncan two years, and now I'm seeing him do, you know, damn near 360s in traffic. And it's just like, what was all this shit in Detroit? Like, they were talking about your career was finished off of two knee surgeries and shit. Right. And uh, they're just not a very likable team. And then when they do shit like that, yeah, like like Blake is a shit starter. So um, right. I, I just, I, I wanted nothing more than the Bucks to, to beat the ass tonight. And that's, I think. A lot of people are upset about that as well. 
Yeah. Um, last series uh, is over, but Suns Nuggets. Uh, Suns swept the Nuggets. Uh, Listen, a lot of a lot of talk about the Suns, but you know they got away without having to face AD in the first round, and they get away, you know, playing a a, a, a team without their starting point guard Murray Jamal Murray in the second round. Um, so tons of respect to them, but you know the reality is they've played. You know they've had the benefit of playing two teams without you know arguably either their best player or their one B, um, and they did what they were supposed to do in in this series. But I think the the first true test for them in the playoffs is going to be in this next round. Yeah, uh, shout out to 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 Monty. Um, I'm not a huge CP3 fan just because. How he left the Pelicans, but you're uh, a hater. <laughs> that man played us. Man, he did. He did what AD did. Uh, but anyway. Like, I, like you know, New Orleans anyway. is you know. Listen, you can't be me, you can't be the jealous ex girlfriend for everybody. You got to pick one. Is it AD? Is it CP3? I mean, a lot of people have left us. These right? niggas got to stop cheating. Right, basketball. Team. These niggas got to stop cheating. Um, they uh, you know, like I don't want to hit a whole Monty CP3 reunion and now they best friends and hugging and shit. And, and you you left Monty after one year, so I don't want to hit that mm-hmm. shit. Y'all want to have a nice reunion in Phoenix going to the Western Conference Finals, but but I am happy. Like I I think CP3 never truly gets the credit he deserves uh, being an undersized guard because he hasn't had a lot of playoff success. So it's cool to see. I'm glad to see Monty. You know, after getting fired by the Pelicans. Um, the tragic death of his wife um while he's assistant oklahoma like just mm. see him rebounding um and getting his career back on track with that second chance so i, I am happy to see that booker's becoming a bona fide like superstar right. yeah um deandre ayton like for all the shit people were talking about Correct. him Correct. like the playoffs he showed out like he took it it's to- crazy when you really look back from like 2015 to 2020 there's so many busts in the first round mm-hmm. and a couple of them were with the suns right um and it's easy to look up and down those first round picks and be like this dude didn't make it, this dude didn't make it but when you're watching a team like the suns right now you start to see like you know the nba is a little bit of a develop developmental league right yeah some and some guys pop soon, and, and some guys have to be in the right situation with the right pieces around them, and then they start to pop. And I think that's what we're seeing with them. Yeah, and I think you know, like we talked about with, with Conley um, in Utah, like CP3 knows how to bring a team together, and he knows how to make other players better. He did right. in Oklahoma City last year. Um, got them to a fourth seed with not much, you know, around him, and he just like I think that's what that team needed this year, and hopefully he can stay for a couple more years, like just to. Cause now you see Booker getting better and better and confident. You see Aiden getting better and better. Like uh, this guy Payne, Cameron Payne, I think is his name. Like, you know, he's making big shots and just stepping up. Like you just see a lot of these young guys finally coming into their own. So it's exciting to see. Um, what do you think the Suns chances are? It's funny. Cause I think they were saying, uh, man, who's a guy from uh, Oklahoma city that, that Randy Livingston was saying he was friends with. Um, oh, uh, Presty. Yeah, I think Sam they Preston. were quoting him as saying that, like, after XYZ amount of practices and watching Cameron Payne, because they drafted him, I think, in 2015, like the 15th pick, we knew yeah. he wasn't an NBA caliber talent, you know. And so he's somebody who was casted away, you know, written mm-hmm. off for right. a first round pick. And now he is, um, you know, out here doing it. But what was your question? Oh, just saying, like, what you think the Suns' chances of, of beating Utah are? Um, I think. They have a decent chance. I mean, the funny thing is when we watch these other playoff series right now, like these teams are going like the game we watched tonight. I mean, effectively, the Bucks played like six people. Right. I think they played seven, but, you know, one played one minute, one played three minutes. Right. Um, I'm sorry. I think they played eight, but one played one minute, one played three minutes. So they really had like a, a six-man rotation. Um, and the Nets didn't do much more than that. So I think that that's where – their benefit starts to come in. I mean, you know, they're legitimately playing nine guys um, every game. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, I'm saying not like Frank Kaminsky, you know, was a first round pick. He's yep. not even in the nine and I mentioned it. Right. Um, so I just think that, yeah, depth does become, um, you know, one of their strong suits. Depth and, and you know, when you look at, right, that too. I mean, when you look at Chris Paul and Devin Booker and as a backcourt, like that's a legitimate, you know, Hall of Famer and an all-star in your backcourt. And then you say DeAndre Aiden averaging 20 and 10, and then you got a guy like Jay Crowder who's just willing to do all the little stuff. Yeah. Listen, I don't know that them dudes have lost a game since Andre Drummond was clowning them from the bench 
um, when LeBron was posting up. The crazy thing is AD goes down. That whole team falls apart. Drummond gave you nothing. And basically the Suns have taken off since then. Yeah, I mean, the thing I like about the team is, like, I'm a LeBron fan, right? So I, I'm not a huge Jay Crowder. Like, they get into it a lot. They seem to have some beef. But the thing I do like about Jay Crowder is, like, he'll guard anybody. He'll, you know, stand up to anybody. He's not afraid uh, to get beat. He's not afraid to get a shot hit in his face. And he'll also take a big three uh, and hit it. You know, he can get hot. So I just like a dude like that just brings so much to the table, especially when you got to play teams like Lakers with LeBron and, and um, you know, the Clippers potentially with PG-13 and, and Kawhi. Like you need a three. You need a strong three who can guard some of them dudes and get in their chest and, and try to frustrate them. Um Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's what, what Jay Crowder brings. And then, like you talked about with the backcourt, I think the thing that makes the sun scary is if CP3 can continue to hit that 15 to 18-foot jumper that he's been hitting from the uh, the right side of the court. Like, that's been money the last, you know, series. And so he dropped 35. If he can drop 20 a game, they're going to be tough to beat because him and, and Booker feed off each other and, like, they complement each other really well. So. Uh, I'm looking forward to whoever wins that series. I think the Suns got a legit chance. Um, before we move on from the NBA, a couple things uh, I want to talk about. First, the all-NBA teams came out. Uh, first team, Steph, Luka, Kawhi, Giannis, and Jokic. Second team, CP3, Dame, LeBron, Julius Randle, your boy, uh, Joel Embiid. Third team, Kyrie, Bradley Beal, Jimmy Butler. PG thirteen, Rudy Gobert. Like any like overt misses uh on, on those three teams. I think they said this is Bradley Beal's first time on it the is. team, but yeah. like I don't understand still how Kawhi Leonard is first team ahead of Bradley Beal. Like Bradley Beal averages like thirty one points a game, I think. Um I, with that, I think it comes really down to position. Like Bradley Beal. That's what I don't get. Guard. So Bradley Beal considered Kawhi guard. So what Luca is considered the guard. Yeah. And I guess, yeah. but then it's like, oh, if Kawhi is the forward, then how did Kawhi make it over Jason Tatum? Like Jason Tatum averages more points per game, played more games. Like Kawhi only played fifty-two games, and LeBron you know I mean? played less than that. You know, and made right. the second team. Like, uh, right. I think it becomes too like you know, in anything, right? It's like a popularity contest, and so like right. your name means so much. Um, Cause we talked about Jimmy Butler missed a whole bunch of games and, and Miami was like a six seed. And, and right. uh, I mean, you had guys like Devin Booker, man, a lot of, yeah. a lot of name a bunch of light skin dudes, Devin, Devin Booker, back, Zach baby, Levine, Jason Tatum, you know, the, I told like, you just back. to throw a couple of names out there and, and then throw Bradley Bill in there too. I mean, those guys from the guard small forward position had great seasons, in my opinion, all better than, you know, LeBron, Kawhi, um, and and who's I guess Bill is on thirteen, but yeah, I mean I, I you know you you talked about Bill being his first. This is Julius Randle first. Like <clears throat> it's hard to break those lists when you're not like the guys like LeBron and Steph and and you know Dame and the guys who have the the name uh, and, and you know have been really successful on successful teams. Um, See, I mean, if I'm yanking anybody, I'm yanking Jimmy Butler, LeBron, James Kawhi, Leonard, and Paul George. Like, those yeah. guys, they all either had significant injury time missed or load managed, and I think I could put four guys who had better seasons on there. And I get that they're perennial, you know, all-stars, you know, some of the best players in the league. But I just don't think that it's necessarily indicative of uh, the people who had the actual best yeah. this year. I mean, to me, the most egregious is like, again, I'm a big LeBron fan, but it's LeBron, right? Like, you play 46 games and your team was the seventh seed. Like, how you put him on second team and then Jason Tatum doesn't make the list. I mean, granted, they were a seventh seed as well, but he played a lot without um, without Jalen Brown. He played a lot without uh, Kemba Walker. You know, they had a lot of injuries and he played the majority of his team's games. And I think you got to start rewarding. You can't as an NBA say, like, we want to fight uh, – uh, load management but then reward players who load manage and put them on these teams and and then you start talking about dudes whose contracts get impacted like tatum not making it like he's not due for the supermax so you got like big time implications and um i I think like you said lebron Kawhi, and pg-13 load manage a lot and then they purposely lost the last two games to avoid the lakers like when you do shit like that like i just don't like rewarding these guys right Uh, Especially right. with like a first team nod for look for Kawhi. So um 
the all defense team, first team, Drew Holiday, Ben Simmons, Giannis, Draymond Green, and Rudy Gobert. Um, I don't take any of that. I don't take that stuff seriously in, in I, the NBA anymore because nobody plays defense. So. Right, right. And we saw right what happens when Giannis when it matters. Right, you don't even right. go on your TV. And like, is anybody really afraid of Draymond Green? Like defensively, right. like are there power forwards and centers in the NBA who like really are scared of Draymond? Right, but, and Ben Simmons better do something with his six ten heads because he damn sure right. scores points. Right, he's an athletic six ten guard. So yeah, I would expect you to you know be able to to def- defend well in the perimeter. Um. So that's it. All only other thing I want to talk about right quick was um in the NBA was was because we missed last week. Angels out. Um, what's the coach's name? Uh, Stevens. Stevens. Stevens has moved. He's become the the general manager of uh, president of basketball operations and has left coaching. When I first heard it, I thought he was going to be the coach in GM, but then mm-hmm. I, I realized that he's moving out of coaching ranks into the general manager role. I got a lot of questions about that for a guy who's been a career coach at Butler in college and, and then, <laughs> in the, you know, Celtics uh, for the last seven or eight years. Was it seven or eight years? Yeah. Yeah. It was like, it didn't feel like that long. It didn't. It didn't. And um, the team has gotten worse and, and uh, you've got max players and I just don't know what gives him the credentials to be named the general manager. Um, it has been seven years. Wow. He became a co- head coach at 37. Yeah. The age I am now. Um, yeah, I mean, I think for starters, one point, one thing to point out is uh, the fact that, like, yeah, and you are right. Like, the, his first year, they were 25 and 57. They peaked at 55 and 27 after, I guess, him being a coach for four years. And now they're down. They finished 36 and 36. So they mm-hmm. literally went up and have come back down. Like, when they hit their peak in 2017, 2018, their record got worse every year thereafter. So, right. um, to your point, right, like, what responsibility does he bear in there? But like, I guess we did talk about it like the last podcast we recorded, what is going to be the outcome in Boston because they're not getting it done with these rosters. I think the reality is Ainge's whole strategy in Boston was built around attracting AD. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that he felt like he was going to get the guards through the draft and then be able to attract AD to go with, you know, the stellar backcourt and then have this dominant team in the Eastern Conference. And they just, they whiffed on AD and like, there's not a lot of, AD is a top five player, top five, you know, you know, one of probably the top two or three big men in the league. So without him, you're completely lacking in the front court. And I think that's what's, what's killed him all this time. I don't think he had really a plan B. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think that's why they fell apart. As for Bradley Stevens getting the job, I mean, I, your guess is as good as mine what he's going to be like in that position. I yeah, mean, I mean, I just know when he's 70, he's 44 years old. He's been an NBA coach for seven years. I mean, I have no clue what his, you know, what role he played in the talent acquisition they already have and whether or not uh, he'll be able to get what they need, which is front court help. And to your point, right, it's, it's like not a greatly constructed team. So, like, mm-hmm. if you want to give the credit or, or the the lack, you know, if you want to give the blame to Ainge, like, what role did he play in a coach as a coach? Mm-hmm. And if so, like, what input did he have? And so what makes us think now that he's going to be successful? So I don't know. I, I thought it was a reach, and I don't think Boston got enough flack for the high, honestly. I thought they got mm-hmm. a little too much credit given this guy has no resume to perform this job. So, um, And it, we talked, like, we had talked about it, like, you know, Heads were likely going to have to roll. I thought because of Jalen Brown's injury, you know, everybody would get one more year. But maybe mm-hmm. it was a situation where Ainge, you know, took himself out to to keep to save Bradley Stevens. Because if they would have had to fire Ainge, maybe they just clean house and fire everybody because the new GM would want their own head coach. So maybe he, you know, took himself out before he was ever fired and then was able to, to handpick his successor instead of you know, everybody getting fired. Yeah, and I, I listened to Bill Simmons uh, and, and, you know, him and Ryan Rossillo record a lot together and they big Boston fans and have contacts. And they even talked about uh, Bradley Stevens kind of not losing the locker room, but but kind of voice being um, ignored in the locker room, kind of like just losing his ability to motivate the guys. And to me, like, if that's, a, if that's an issue, then how would I expect him to be perform well as a general manager? Um, right. I don't know. So we'll see. But uh, but I, I wasn't a big fan of that. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll see what happens over there. Let's get to the NFL. They had some big news while we were away. Uh, first, Julio Jones, you know, former uh, 
you know, huge enemy of the New Orleans Saints. That's our rival Atlanta. He's been there destroying us for the last couple of years, even though we typically got the better of the, the, the game. He, he would always play us pretty well. Um, traded to the Tennessee Titans for a second and a fourth round draft pick in 2022. Um, you like the trade? And, and if Listen, it's good for us because uh, we ain't got right. no second cornerback. Shoot, we might not have a first as we keep pointing out. So right. at least we only have to worry, worry about Ridley. And honestly, I don't know how good Calvin Ridley is going to be without Julio Jones on the other side. He's a precise yeah. route runner, but is he really like this mismatch that is going to be able to dominate number one corners in the NFL? I think they're banking on the fact that uh, they just Kyle drafted tight end Kyle Pitts. Yeah. But I, I don't know. Like, tight end is a, is a funny position. I, I I think that it's hard to come in on your first year and dominate at the tight end position. Agreed. What about um the trade for Tennessee? Do you feel like it makes them a legit – Title contender? No, I don't. Like, I just felt like we talked about it last year. Their issue was their pass rush, which is they tried to address by going and get um, Clowney, and he was hurt most of the season. Um, and now and, he's gone. Right, now he's gone. Tanny Hill, um, you know, I, I thought that they, they have a good offense coming out of the play action. I just don't know that – um, monetarily, it was the best use of of their money. And I mean, I, I, in terms of only giving up a second and a fourth, I think that's great. But right. I just don't know that, you know, giving Tannehill more targets is what puts them over the top. It makes them slightly more dangerous, but I still don't think like you got to have a defense. Yeah, definitely. I I like it. I think. I mean, they made it to the playoffs last year. Derrick Henry was a rushing leader. Fantasy alert. I love Derrick Henry this year because you got two elite wide receivers. If Julio can stay healthy, I think is the question. Like health has been I think a big issue. Take carries out of his hands, personally. It will, but I, I think he's going to get more touchdowns. Um, and I think you just can't load the box up. But again, Julio has missed a lot of games over the last four or five years, and he missed about eight games last year. Now some say you know he might have missed games he could have played in because Atlanta started off so poorly. I think they were started off like zero and six or one and seven. Um, so some may say that, you know, he, he sat out of games because he felt like they were out of the playoff hunt. But um, I think health is a major issue for a guy who's like 32, 33 years old. So if he stays healthy, I think it does make him a legitimate contender. Um, and, and just given their division, uh, they're in one of the weaker divisions. You got Jacksonville with a rookie quarterback in Trevor Lawrence, the Colts with, a, you know, Carson Wentz and uh, – Houston with, you know, Deshaun Watson's issues if he'll even play. So when you look at a team who could could win out the division, go eight, you know, six and zero in that division, and who knows what happens then. But uh I think it puts them at least in heavily in the mix. Um what about A-Rod? Aaron Rodgers skipping mandatory mini camp. Um Green Bay can find him up to ninety three thousand uh, dollars. a lot of people are saying like like That's, 93 cents to me. Exactly, exactly. But they haven't done it yet, um, which also upsets me because when he's running backs and wide receivers do it, they can't wait to find these dudes. <laughs> but but uh, do you think Rodgers ends up in, in anywhere else? Denver is, is rumored to be the spot he wants to go to. But uh, I think that's ridiculous. Uh, I don't <laughs> even know if Denver – I mean, like I don't even know if that's a playoff caliber team. I just – whatever. Like I'm not – even responded to that part. I, I don't <laughs> think that uh, he leaves. I think I was Martez Valdez Scantling, you know, tweeted like all in or posted on his Instagram and A-Rod liked it. Um, you know, I think he's making a point. I also think that nobody wants to go to minicamp when they get to this age. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And so, I, and, and you're coming off that COVID year and stuff. So I think it's more about that. I, you know, I don't, I think he is upset with the organization, but I just, I'm sorry. I still don't see it. I still don't see him leaving. And I damn sure don't see him leaving to go to uh, Denver. I, like, I just want to leave. Point, my... You should only be going for, for Super Bowl contenders. And I don't see yeah. Denver as that. Leave Teddy alone, man. Leave my nigga Teddy Bridgewater alone, bro. Let, let this man start in peace, please. Just, he waits. He goes to Denver. Yeah, he's starting he's in Denver. Gonna, he's not going to start in Denver. Who are they going to start over him? Drew Locke. Drew Locke. That's, they love, uh, John Stop. Elway loves Drew Locke. Stop it. Yeah, he's gonna be fired loving Drew Locke. I tell you that. <laughs> uh, uh, look, listen, I don't talk a lot of baseball, but I've been trying to follow it a little more. And I, I got a question, right? I, I got a, some concerns. The, the Major League Baseball has just instituted uh, immediate ejection and a 10 game suspension for players, uh, specifically pitchers 
who are caught using any foreign substances. This has been going on for since the beginning Ever? of time in baseball, right? Like, I mean, weren't they doing it like in the sandlot? Like, it's just exactly something just like, accepted. They put Vaseline on a ball, get a better right. grip. Uh, you know, like all the movies have have um, have done it, right? Like Major League, the dude used Vagisil. You know, like yeah, I don't know all, why we acting so surprised. I just, you know, but here's my well, one is because there's a record strikeout, uh, record number of strikeouts this year, and it's like the worst batting average, and you know. 30 something 40 years you know something crazy like that like they, they they just can't hit but my whole thing is this like now we're gonna recognize that pitchers are cheating but back when you know steroid era it was all like well the hitters got this big advantage so now we're admitting that pitchers have been cheating since the beginning of the time like i'm not saying it's even but i'm saying like things have been done on both sides so to discredit dudes like barry bonds and and sammy sosa and not elect them into the hall of fame rafael palmaro like it just I find it odd now that now they want to, you know, try to reverse course because people can't hit. Um, so I guess my question to you is, like, in your eyes, does this change the way you view the steroid era or like the guys who are being punished by not being elected into the Hall of Fame? I, I don't know. I see it as two different issues. Um, I think Garrett Cole was asked about this and he kind of clammed up because he was like, you know, it just kind of seemed like there was some stuff that was accepted in sports. Um, and then there's people towing the line of, of going beyond what we had all kind of accepted as what was reasonable. I think that, um, you know, a lot of baseball players pop those little uppers. I think they call them greenies or something because mm -hmm. they're playing day and night double headers and all kind of stuff like that. And, and to, to some extent, that's a performance enhancing drug, right? Like it right. kind of gives you a, a upper type thing. Adderall you know, performance enhancing drug actually, right? Um, but I just don't think that any of us in a million years will compare that to steroids. I think it's the same thing with, um, and I guess you could say what, like pine tar versus a corked bat, right? Like mm -hmm. there's levels to everything. Um, and so I think what's happening as with most stuff, like cheating always starts to advance, right? Stealing a signal from the dugout and telling people what you think you saw versus you know, using TV, prominently placed TV cameras and then beating on trash cans. Same conversation we always have with our friend Napoli about the Patriots and, and the signs in the, you know, signal stealing. Like there's a difference in, you know, always trying to know what the defense does versus what the Patriots were doing, which is creating this large scale library over several years of what everybody did down in distance in addition to having their signal. And so I think that that's what we're seeing with these creams and all these different things. I think that's the point Garrett Cole was making that we're getting to a point where it's getting a little too advanced. The substances that are substances that are being used are like giving grip to an extent that's allowing pitches to be thrown that, you know, maybe couldn't have been thrown in the past and it's creating, um, uh, it's destroying competitive balance. And I think yeah. that's when, you're supposed to, you know, step in and, and figure it out and, and make sure that the rules are doing what they're supposed to do. There's levels to this shit. That's, I think that's the <laughs> bottom line. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to see uh, the first pitcher get caught with this shit because they're talking about checking after every inning and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see. And, and I got a, a winner who, like, now I'm after, you know, talking about this, I'm kind of, you know – Question. Myself. Yeah, it's, it's funny because exposed. you watch the College World Series every year and watch all them LSU players' hats turn colors at the brim, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. The, yeah, the pictures. Yeah. You always you used right. to always it's see, and you're like, well, what these dudes got in their hand that's making the brim of their hat turn colors? <laughs> Everybody can see it. I know the yeah. umpires saw it. We just accepted it. Right. Typical baseball, allowed cheating until it gets too bad. Um Real quick transition before we get to our winners and losers. College football, the college football playoff committee um, had a task force of, of a couple members that has been doing research over two years, and they're about to present a 12-team format um, for the future uh, of college football playoffs. I think the contract runs through like 2025, 2026, something like that. But but after that is up, they, they're considering to change the format, and, and now they're considering 12 teams um with like first round buys and everything and, and you know it could it could lead to potentially a 17 game season um if a team were to play in a conference championship not get a first round buy and, and win out essentially um 
but it's what everybody's been wanting, right? Give more teams opportunities, um, feel like the season is more meaningful for the entirety of the season. If you lose a game early, it doesn't uh, basically dampen the season for fans because your team is, is no longer in a running. So what's your thoughts on the, the 12 game, 12 team format? I mean, the, the bigger complaints I heard was just about length of season and you're still not paying players and stuff. But I'm not one of those people like, listen, man, like you can't all of that tradition and pageantry kind of gets old after a while. Like, yeah. like making these stale arguments about, oh, well, every game matters in college football and that's what makes it great. That That's true. That is true. But I also just think that it's the loyalty. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah college football is steep to tradition and loyalty and it's a shorter season. So it's still not, it's not going to be college basketball where there's 32 games. Not, I don't know how many games there are in college baseball, but there's a lot more than 11 or 12. So I, I just think that games are still going to matter. I mean, we, we already talk about the fact that when you talk about some of the disparities in talent in these, you know, Clemson in the ACC, Bama in the SEC, you're already at a point where, Teams like that with the four-game playoff tend to be playing a two- or three-game season. Right. Like, I just have to beat LSU. You know, I have to beat right. Ole Miss. You know, so um, the idea that now they might be able to drop one of those games and still make the playoffs, I mean, at a certain point, you want the playoff games to mean something. So if that means that the regular season games mean a little bit less because the playoff games mean more, well, we're just shifting shifting to a more professional, like uh, – scenario yeah i mean i, I think I, I don't buy the whole like games mean regular season games mean less i'd argue more games mean less because if you lose the first game or two in the, in the beginning of the season most teams are then out of the playoff totally right so the rest of your games don't matter so right to me, increasing the number of teams makes every game matter because right. you could lose one early in a game late still matters and and you know it's just I think it does the complete opposite of what people are always crying about. Like it may, it, it makes the regular season more exciting. It makes the playoffs more exciting. And then every game still matters because seeding matters. Like if you have the one right. seed, it's easier to win than if you have the 10th the seed. Like it's just. And I also think that when people say that, they're only thinking about the Ohio States and the, the Alabamas. Like, right. Because it used to be where you had to basically have one loss season or be undefeated. The thought right. process is those teams might get into a playoff with two losses. Right? right. And so, but you're ignoring the fact that now with 12 teams getting in so many more teams have an opportunity that, you know, for example, what were we watching this year was BYU coastal Carolina. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and you had teams like that who were undefeated UCF a couple years ago. Every game matters for them because to get one of those 12 games, uh, spots, they have to win every game. Right. And so now what happens is it opens up the book of college football for people to watch other games because those games are now important. And yeah. you know what's going to happen sooner or later? You're going to get another Boise State-Oklahoma game in the playoffs, and then it's all going to be worth it. I was going to say, I want to see the 1999 Tulane team get a shot. You know, right. with Sean King and, and, and Tommy Bowden. Tony Converse, Jawan yeah. Dawson. Yeah, I, I want to see that team. I want to see the Boise State team get a shot. I want to see the Houston team that, that beat Florida State in the Peach Bowl get that shot to, you know, like see what they can do in, in, in a meaningful playoff game and, and try to see if they can make a run. Um, I, A lot of times those teams won't win, but I think there's always, a you know, an opportunity for a team to be, just be special and just all come together. Mm -hmm. So, um. I'm excited. We'll see what happens. It hasn't gone through. It still needs to be voted on by all the committee members. It's got to pass through some hoops. But um, I think it'll be a good thing for college football long term. And I think it'll just make the the like the winter break, the you know, the Christmas, like the bowl season, that that stuff. They'll they'll take back over New Year's because like a lot of right. New Year's bowls just don't mean anything anymore. Right. So. But now you have playoff football. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, we're going to wrap it up there. We're going to get to our winners and losers before we get out of here. Rob, start us off with your winners. All right. My winners are, we've already talked about, both out the NBA. My first winner, uh, Kawhi Leonard. Listen, they were down 3-2 in the series against uh, the Mavericks in, in a must-win game in game six. He dropped 45. He came back with 28 in game seven and just, you know, hit a lot of timely buckets and took over. Again, they come out down 2-0 uh, in this series against the Jazz. And what does he do? 
uh, games three and four, 34 points, 31 points. And of course, like I mentioned, just took Royce O'Neal's soul the other night with the dunk <laughs> and, you know, got the crowd on his feet. Yeah. And just listen, as much as we questioned it, maybe a pot or two ago about the fact that he really only has, you know, those two rings and one, he wasn't even the best player on the team. Um, and the other, he would have never got if Clay doesn't go down. You know, this is his chance. This is his playoff run. We're talking about KD, but Kawhi's on the other side. Like, this is set up for them to be on a collision course. And, and two guys who have kind of uh, been coming for LeBron as of late, um, mm-hmm. you know, basically trying to solidify that they, you know, deserve that seat on the throne, that they're as good of him as him, if not better. And, and Kawhi is doing what he needs to do to keep his, his team alive this year. So I got to give him props for that. You know, we talk trash uh, when they don't win. Uh, and so in keeping with that, KD, same thing. In a situation tonight where, you know, he loses this series, it's an embarrassment. You know, it's, yeah. it's LeBron losing to the Mavericks. It's right. uh, the Clippers last year getting eliminated after talking all that trash about what they were going to do to the Lakers. Um and so he was in a tough spot. Down 15, he comes in, he dominates third and fourth quarter, 49. Uh, I think I had it wrong earlier. I think he had 17 rebounds, 49, 17, and 10. Missed a free throw late in the game, but he would have had a 50 piece. Yep. Um, and I think he did it shooting like 16 to 23, um, almost 70% efficient. from the field, super yeah. efficient. And the biggest shot to me was that double clutch three pointer that he shot yeah. after James Harden just milks the entire 24 second yeah. clock, gets trapped, and then throws him the ball. Middleton, Again, shouldn't have been on him, out of position. But Middleton still got in front of him. He double clutches and pumps, you know, resets and shoots the three and, and hits it. Um, and he had to give that nasty face to himself because he, I think he was shocked he hit that shot himself. So those are those are my two winners. I'll say this too, just wrapping up your winner. Like he had 17 in a fourth, which I, I think is even more impressive considering he played the whole game. Because just like when you're exhausted, you know you got to beat a man. You know it's going to take everything you got. You're going to need – 15 plus in a full quarter, you know, with no rest. Like he stepped up and he did his thing, man. I got to give him credit for that. Um, start off my winners with uh, Jacob DeGrom. He's the starting pitcher for the New York Mets. In 10 starts, he is 6 and 2 with a 0.56 ERA and 103 strikeouts, um, averaging over 10 a game. Uh, he's, he's, he's given up so few runs, he's driven in more runs at the plate as a pitcher batting than he has allowed on a mile. Um, As of now, as of today, he is the odds on favorite to win the NL MVP at two to one, according to Caesars Palace. Um, And that's not, that's huge because it's not done often. In fact, in the last 28 years, only two pitchers have won uh, the NL MVP. The last one being Clayton Kershaw in 2014 for the Dodgers. So, like that, that you know, not just the Cy Young, which goes to the best pitcher for the league, but the the MVP, which is just not uh, seen often. And he he's ahead of Fernando Tatis Jr. in San Diego, who's a beast as well. So, um, got to get that dude his props. Uh, my last winner, going back to basketball, Trey Young. I mentioned it earlier. He had 29 points and 18 assists last night. But not only that, he's had twenty at least twenty nine points in his first nine playoff games of his career. Um, you know, led the Hawks to the eighteen point comeback last year, and he he took over that New York series and, and dominated them. Um, so, shots out to uh, or hats off, I should say, to Trey Young. And, and uh, to that point earlier, seventeen points for Durant in the fourth quarter. The Bucks only had twenty one, which kind of speaks to how pathetically they were playing. He almost outscored them all by himself. It is, man. Listen, it's. I'm gonna get to I know. That. I'm, I'm just not over it. I'm not oh, over it. I'm about to get to that, too. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and get my, my losers out the way, and then I'm going to let you go, Rob. Uh, my first loser is Duke University. A um, couple weeks back, they named Nina King, who was uh, one of you know Tulane Law alum, Rob, one of your sports your, uh, program people. alum. Yeah, you she go. just spoke at the school recently. Yeah. Cool. She uh she was named before a, she got the title. She spoke at the school. So. Okay, so she was named the new athletic director, uh, making her only the third black female AD in a power conference. So a lot of people might say, "Well, that should be a winner, right?" Correct. That's why they're losing because a week after she's named the AD, Coach K says that this 2021-2022 season will be his last, and then proceeds to name his successor, who's his assistant coach, John Shire. And to me, that is. 
losing on the part of Duke University. You don't give this woman the, the title of AD and then not make let her allow her to select the next basketball coach, which is the elite program for that university. Um, One of the biggest hires, you know, yes. in, in college sports. And, you know, if, if what you're saying is correct, that, that he kind of hijacked the process uh, from her. So that's what I took from it. And that, that's why I did my first loser. Um, second loser is the Milwaukee Bucks. We've talked about it all night. Um, and I just can't get it out of my head. But but just the whole game, it exposed the whole team. Uh, Bullholzer, fraud. Giannis, fraud. Middleton, fraud. Drew, <laughs> we knew it was a damn fraud. I'm just, I'm just so aggravated with that team. But they had that shit in the bag, gave it up due to just horrible coaching moves, lack of, of clutchness from, from stars, just, just all around poor performance. Milwaukee Bucks is my second loser. Rob, who you got? All right, my first loser is a, a little bit of a comedy. If you if you got a chance to watch this, it's, it's Lamar Odom, y'all. Uh, Lamar Odom fought Aaron Carter. I'm not even sure is Aaron Carter Lance Carter from the Backstreet Boys' little brother. I think that's who he was. I think he used to sing some songs back in the day. I think and they so. did a celebrity boxing match. It's a joke because Aaron Carter's like five ten and Lamar Odom's like six ten. For some reason, Lamar Odom had on shorts that did not fit. Uh, <laughs> And he he knocked him out in the second round. Aaron Carter essentially quit at a certain point. Just in the Atlantic City. Uh, also, Lamar Odom's forty-one. Aaron Carter's thirty-three. They're boxing. Aaron Carter kept turning his back and running away. But there was at some point in the first round, uh, we, he was doing a spin out. He threw a couple punches and then spin out and kind of run away and then come back throw some punches. Spin out. There was one point in the round where he caught Aaron Carter, where he caught Lamar Odom. And started mixing on him. I mean, got yeah, yeah, rallied <laughs> off like 10 punches. And we're not talking about the Jake Paul on uh Floyd Mayweather, where it's really his forearms were catching the side of Floyd's gloves, which were covering his head. Now he actually was punching Lamar Odom in the face <laughs> a foot up, but he had to jump to execute every punch. And it was just, uh, you know, I just kept thinking, like somebody asked me, why would Lamar Odom do this? And you know, obviously his his you know life has been in turmoil. I just kept thinking all the Stephen A. comments and clips, and it was just sad to watch. So he's my first loser. Like, get it together, bro. I, I don't know, <laughs> do you know another one of these celebrity reality TV shows, Dance with the Stars, something? But uh. celebrity boxing is not where it's at. His pants were falling down the whole fight. He kept trying to pull him up with trunks on. It was just. <laughs> it was an embarrassment. And my second loser, uh, my second loser, I believe is shoot, I didn't even read it. Oh, Bob Bradford. Um Bob Bradford is the Baffert is the uh is a is a horse owner. He owned Medina Spirit uh from the Kentucky Derby. Uh Medina Spirit tested positive for drugs. Uh and he it's the second horse in the 147 year history of the race to be disqualified as a winner because of a failed drug test. Uh, Churchill Downs uh, immediately suspends Baffert, uh, a seven time winner of the Derby. I never really understand it when they like call these horse owners like the winner of the Derby. Like it's right. this thing, you know, you own the horse. And so he keeps having these uh, winning horses, seven time winner. Um, but apparently this man is out here cheating. Uh, he's the most recognizable figure in the sport. Like, if you think you know who I'm talking about, you know who I'm talking about. He's the guy with the silver hair who's always got on the sunglasses or maybe those are transition lenses uh, that he's always got on. But he's the space that's synonymous with horse racing because he's the guy who's always getting interviewed after winning the race. Um, and, um, you know, the reality is now he's taking it to court and he's trying to fight this. But everybody, I think, has long since heard that there's a lot of, you know, steroids in horse racing but whatever i guess a lot of people managed to get away with it bruce i'm sorry bob however has not and and, and now is suspended but it's just a black eye on something that's like i don't know people don't really watch a ton of horse racing it's really just gambling and then pageantry right, right? and the pageantry comes from the big races so if if there's one thing you don't need it's you know allegations of cheating and steroid use in the biggest races and so bob bob, bob baffert has now put a black eye on horse racing and uh so he's my second loser and i'll tell you this too like what i found out um researching like you mentioned like the biggest thing around horse racing is gambling and i found that when a horse wins but then it's found to be 
you know, uses steroids and, and is disqualified from like he he's been disqualified as the winner. The people who bet on him still win their money, and the people who bet the horse who finished second place don't get anything. Wow! And like that decision is not reversed in in Vegas or in gambling. So wow. like gambling is final. Whatever happens that day, that's final. And so right. like really, you're not really penalizing the people by you know because most hard like horse owners bet on their horse, so mm-hmm. they've gotten all the money. Um, probably will get money from breeding them as well. So it's, it's a kind of a jacked up situation. Um, yeah, you're taking money out of people's pockets. Yeah, definitely, man. Um, so that, that's all we got. But look, before we get out of here, I got a couple of things I want to ask you about. Or just really one. Uh, Scotty Pippen's book. You buying it? If I am. I think I got to. I mean, yeah, we did a whole three-part documentary. And, I, uh, you know, I've heard... Uh, I've heard a bunch of people disagree with our takes and, and everywhere I go, people are like, did you see it? It was one of the greatest documentaries ever. I'm like, I got a whole podcast series on why it wasn't. You should go <laughs> check it out. And so, you know, a big part of why we felt like it wasn't was because he told it solely from his perspective and made everybody else look small. And in particular, he made one of the 50 greatest players in the NBA look small, a guy who ever 20 points, as you pointed out, always defended the best player on the other team. And when you watch some of these series that we're watching, like, I just feel like, you should watch it with the lens of realizing what Scottie Pippen meant because, mm-hmm. you know, in a season where we're watching either you have a bunch of stars or you got a Giannis who can't seem to find a good rock Robin to his Batman. Um, you know, what LeBron was without his Robin. Right. Um, you know, what Kawhi is when PG doesn't show up. You understand that Scotty, night in, night out, best player taken away and gave you about 20 and eight and play point guard. Right. Right. Um, so I just think, that, yeah, I just think that uh, I got to show my support and get his side, get his perspective, see what it's like in the mind of the guy who um, always had to take the back seat. I can't wait, bro. Bullshit Chronicles. Check us out from last year's documentary. We're going to have a part two for, for Scotty's side. I can't wait. Um, I saw a woman in a window. Netflix, Amy Adams, shit was garbage. Yeah, um, I, I was trash. It was, it was Lupin, garbage. though. Was it Lupin or the Lupin? I think Lupin. Lupin. I haven't seen it, but I heard about it. Yeah, season two a little weak, but still, you know, I just, I like it. I just like it. You know, he's kind of the, the classy uh, burglar, uh, old school okay. type story. Uh, retold with a black guy as a star, so I, I enjoy it. Check it out. I'm going to check it out. Uh, that's all we got. Rob, anything before we get out of here? Uh, those Mike Tyson, there was a Mike Tyson, uh, like little doc on ABC. I checked out, thought that was decent the other night and the Floyd Mayweather Ocho Cinco fight. Well, their fights, I never would have thought that Ocho Cinco's fight would have been the better fight of the two, but you know, Floyd got to stop stealing. You got to stop. Like he's uh, now he's just bragging to us that it's robbery that's going on. And at a certain point, it's just, it insults, uh, all of us, our intelligence and our accounts. And it assaults the sport too, bro. Like I, I right. watched, I watched Mike Tyson's hot boxing, and he had an episode with Tommy Hitman Hearn, Sugar Ray Leonard, and uh, uh, what's the other Sugar Shane Mosley, and like to hear great fighters talk about like their best fights and you know who would win in their How prime. tense they were, yeah, like and they, and they take it so seriously. The craft, like even Tyson, you hear him talk about dudes in the 1800s, the first black boxer fighting this fight for freedom, just like stuff like that. You realize like the, how, how special these dudes are, like how, like how much historians and, and pride they take in, in the, in the sport. And Floyd is just making a mockery of it. And I know people are saying like, it's bringing more eyes to boxing and people like seeing these celebrities, but it, it, for some, like we grew up seeing some great fights, you know, great fighters, uh, and for him to just do what he's doing, bro, it's just like a mockery of the sport. So he, he got to stop. Yeah, I mean, you know, you got to just, stop. yeah, you got to stop. I got, you know, I guess what would be his his re- response to that? I, I kind of teased it a little bit, but we'll go out on that note because uh, this is Floyd's response to all of our complaints. A lot of money in this motherfucker. <laughs> it's a whole lot of money in this I'm allergic to that no shit, my wrist game on cold. I might 